Empower Radio presents the Dr. Julie Show, all things connected. Break through the illusion of separation, explore the infinite field of possibility, and make connections that inspire. Now, here's your host, Dr. Julie Kroll. Hello and welcome everyone. You're listening to the Dr. Julie Show, all things connected. Each week we gather right here to make connections that break through the illusion of separation. The illusion of separation feels very real and painful as we experience escalating tensions around the world. Perpetual global crises move us into response with the same patterns we've always embodied. But what if the way we respond to crisis is part of the crisis? What are we missing in our well-established practices of change-making? What do we fail to see in our conventional efforts to enact a better world? And what if we don't even know how to ask the right questions yet? I invite you to take a few deep breaths, bring your awareness into this moment, open your mind and heart, and settle into your essential wholeness as I introduce our guest. Author, lecturer, and speaker, Bio Akomalafe curates an earth-wide project, the Emergence Network, for the recalibration of our ability to respond to crisis, and a project framed within a feminist ethos and inspired by indigenous cosmologies. And his writing is so beautiful and incredible. That's how I found him. I'm going to be so happy to bring you Bio. Welcome, Bio. Welcome to the show. Great to be here, Julie. Great to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Oh, thank you. You know, I, I'm looking forward to hearing more of your story, more about your work in the world. And I just want to let the, the listeners know that I found you with this incredible blog that you wrote following the storm after a remark made by the president of the United States. <laughs> and you wrote... Yeah. A beautiful, incredible, I think it was a nine-page blog that just moved me so much. Not, um, I, I love little sarcasm and humor, but I love the history that you wove in. I loved the detail and the, the um, really opening and broadening our awareness of who we are as a humanity and then really looking again bringing in the, the nature I, i'm i'm looking at this feminist ethos and the inspired um by indigenous cosmologies that came through in your writing so well so bio i have a very a first question here and I, I know you're going to appreciate this first traditional question that I have here on the show. And then I want to dig into all the rest of these, um, whatever wants to emerge in our conversation here, because I'm really looking forward to learning more about you. But the traditional question is, can you share with our listeners, what does all things connected mean to you? Hmm. All things connected. Thank you, Julie. Um, well, there. Let me put it this way: that there, there is a sense in which saying everything is connected plays into some new age practices and traditions. Um, to say that everything is connected, everything is entangled, um, uh, is some kind of response to the modern logic of separation the story that we are independent entities um, 
but I think the sense in which I use it, um, not to disparage or dismiss um, our sisters and brothers who are participating in new age spaces, um, the sense in which I use entanglement is really grounded in a deeply scientific um, appreciation of the world, um, but not just a scientific appreciation of the world, um, but uh, my indigenous cosmologies, my indigenous worldviews. So in quantum physics, for instance, some interpretations of quantum physics would lead us to the awareness that there are no things as such. Um, they're only relationships. Um, that is not to say that everything could be condensed into some googly um, juice or some, you know, has no, that is not to say there are no differences or, you know, delineations or, or hues and shadows. Uh, that's not to say any of that. It's, it's to say that the world is a performance, a process, and in in welding itself, so to speak, um, it's entangled. So, so that the, the old sense in which we used to say that things come into relationship or things cause other things to happen can no longer be maintained. Um, uh, I could speak at length about the um, dual slit experiment, that famous experiment that showed that light could either be a wave or a particle, depending on the apparatus used to measure it. Um, and, and what that queer, weird experiment shows is that there, there are no things. There, there are only, there are only um, processes, fluid responses of the world to itself. So uh, it, the, the sense of entanglement that I love to maintain and invite into spaces when I speak or when I write is the sense that we have no souls, if you will. And I'll just sum that part up by saying that, you know, the old Christian idea is that we have souls within us. And maybe the positivistic science would insist that we have, um, we shouldn't look within for our souls, we should look without. But the new emergent transdisciplinary appreciation of the world leads us to notice that we should look between. It's not within or without, the soul is between. So this, this idea of relationship is really central to my, um, my talk about entanglement. Mm. Bio, thank you. That is really beautiful when I just, I, I just love the idea of between and I really appreciate how you write about that middle in your book as well. It's, right. it's so, so beautiful. So our listeners may not know you yet and you're speaking this really fluid English. You were born in Nigeria, you're living in India and you sound so clear in language. I think you're, I don't know how many languages you speak, but I'm so impressed. Tell us a little bit about you. Who are you? Where on earth are you? And what, what is emerging within you at this time? Okay. I just have to say that speaking with you, it feels like I'm speaking with a long lost sister. Oh, and, and I reintroduced myself to, well, um, it, there, there's a bit of a, 
a tragic story to to what I would say about myself, introducing myself. Yes, I am. My name is Bayo Akomalafe. I'm uh, I'm Yoruba from um, the western part of Nigeria. Um, names in that part of Nigeria are not just names. You don't just drop a coin and the sound that it emits is becomes a name. No, it's uh, um, names have meanings. They tell stories and they are tethered to the community whence we uh, we uh, we come from. So it's um, it's uh, my name means uh, I have met joy and Akomalafe, um, I am told, means one who teaches others the good life. Um, so in a nutshell, my name is one who has met joy and one who teaches others the good life. Now I say I am told this because I do not speak my language. So that's in direct response to your question about the languages I speak. I am imprisoned, a prisoner of this one tongue because I was properly schooled and the environment I grew up in um, as the child of a diplomat um, was such an environment that the teachers were mandated to discipline in the local languages. So we were we were taught to look at television screens and watch BBC uh, presenters articulate English words, um, pronounce them, and we had to shape our lips, you know, to approximate the words coming out of their own mouths. So basically, I'm 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 stuck in English, if you will, and that's a tragic sense that I speak of. Um, I'm from Nigeria. I now live in India. Um, I, I, uh, I'm a professor of clinical psychology at Covenant University. Um, but um, while I was there being a nerd and all, teaching in the university, in the Department of Psychology, my, uh, my wife-to-be showed up. Um, she came from India, came to do a PhD and to lecture in biotechnology in the same university. And I'm not going to tell you the whole um, messy story, <laughs> uh, but yes, a nerd won the day, if you will. <laughs> and and I, I got the girl. And, and so um, we took a sabbatical together and decided to, le to live uh, a small, intense and intimate life. And in a sense, we, we kind of decided that our the whole academic premise, the, 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 the premise of the university wasn't quite jiving with our view of the world, with what we wanted to see in the world. And so we decided to take time off it. We're still listed as lecturers in that university and we still teach all over the world, um, but we are no longer tied to any institution. We live in India in a small apartment in Chennai and we are on schooling our kids, we just had um, a baby boy, Kea, a biome, and we have a four-year-old uh, lightning bolt called Alethea, and we're on schooling them both, and we're learning to listen to all the kinds of decolonial wisdoms. So in, in, I hate nutshells, but in a nutshell, um, this is who I am becoming. I'm becoming a father, I'm becoming a brother, I'm becoming 
um, a partner, um, and uh, uh, maybe an evocator of different alternative worlds that live in the cracks of the highway of modern lives. Yeah, mm. that's how I put that. Yeah. Bio, thank you for that. I I appreciate the background and just even just feeling your presence deeper in, in the story. You are a storyteller. You're an incredible storyteller with a, a master of poetic languaging. So even in the tragedy of the English language, you use it so well and so poetically. And I just applaud you for that. I encourage our listeners to pick up a book or, or, or your blog and <laughs> check it out. But the other thing that I really appreciate about you is this um, invitation to look at the world very differently than even those who are responding to what's going on in the world have been looking at it. And I, I opened those, the show with those questions that come right off of your website when we're looking at the Emergence Network. So tell us a little bit about the Emergence Network and how did you get this? Um, I don't remember how you refer to it, but the, like the uncolonizing or the, you know, it's like the reverse of what we've been doing. How, where does that come from within you? And, and how have you really developed that so well? Right. Um, it, so in a sense, you know, uh, I write in my book that I lost my father when I was 15. And that loss kind of launched me into a search for, at the time I called it absolute truth. You know, the, the, un, the unspeakable mystery about the world. I was, I was on a romantic quest to find it once and for all, because I've, uh, as, as I explained in the book, um, I was, uh, I was, there was no other way I could deal with that loss. My father was very young. He was my best friend. And to lose him so suddenly without warning was deeply traumatic for me. And so uh, I, I could only rely on the Christian vision of my father waiting somewhere, somewhere pristine, you know, waiting for me to pass through the meantime and you know, hold his hand again in the end time. And, um, well, something happened on the way to heaven. Let me put it that way. Because when you dive in deeply enough, I feel, you might start to get a sense of the paradoxes and the contradictions that are everywhere in the landscape of one's faith. So in a sense, I, I, I'm on a decolonial journey. You know, this journey to kind of find, not to find who I am in some kind of neat, um, uncontroversial way, but, but to touch other streams, to know my name from a different perspective, to, to taste other kinds of tastes, to smell other kinds of smells, to see other kinds of visions, to be different. And I think we all long for that at some level, but we are 
in a larger sense and in a very intimate specific sense we are prisoners of a paradigm that insists that this is all there is that there is nothing beneath the surface that there are no ghosts haunting us and that the way we have responded for so long is the only way to respond to the loss of biodiversity or climate change or the loss of one's dad or anything of that sort. It's mechanical, it's predictive, it's linear, it's anthropocentric. But, but in my quest to taste other tastes, if you will, to sense other senses, to make sense of a world that resists sense-making sometimes. I, I happened upon, uh, or I found myself immersed in different kinds of discussions and conversations, in critical cultural studies, in quantum physics, in new educational paradigms in India, and movements that are calling forth new ways of being in the world, whether it's gift economies or sacred activism or any of those things uh, that might be fringe today, you know, borderland stuff, not um, uh, the center kind of stuff. Uh, I, I listened to them and I became part of those movements. So I'm indebted to those movements those movements of thoughts and ideas that say that this is not the only world that exists. Um, there are many other worlds, there are multiple temporalities, there are many ways of being in the world. And we do not need to subscribe to the notion that we are still. We can notice that we are always dancing, if you will, and that in the dance, new worlds are produced. And I, when I say we are always dancing, I don't mean the human is always dancing. Um, in the worlds that I'm participating now, the human is no longer the center of the circle. We, it's, it's a rather post-humanist world where everything is alive where trees are alive. And I don't mean that in, in the merely poetic sense. I mean it in the sense, uh, I mean it in a way to say that science is actually showing that plants are not as dumb as we think they are. Well, the Emergence Network is a curatorial base. Think of it as a band of tricksters spread, up, spread out across the world that I and my wife and a friend invited into being to kind of ask the question that if we took seriously the premise that the world is alive, what will that do to activism? Um, what would it do to the ways we respond to climate change, for instance? Now, I have the privilege of being, of having feet my feet in both worlds, if you will. Um, the world that is occupied by the likes of UNESCO and other legacy institutions. And the world that is not so much hung up on that kind of, um, those kinds of projects. And I find that most of the time, those in the formal world, what I one might call the old paradigm, those in those kind of worlds are at a loss. You know, they, they don't exactly know how to respond to these troubles um whereas you know we're invited to not to kind of circumvent the troubles but to find a way to dance with them to notice that we are complicit in their emergence and so the, the question that is at the heart of the emergence network is what if the world is calling us to forego common sense 
to lean deeper into the counterintuitive, to find new ways of responding to crisis, not in a bid to solve them. Um, this is not a, a this is not a, a shorter pathway to the same objective, to the same end, to the same goal. This is not none of that. This is about asking new questions about the things we've already taken for granted. For instance, the future. Most people who are in the forecast profession are finding ways to try to predict the future. The work that I do with the Emergence Network and the people that I'm so privileged to be working with in that space would ask the question, what if uncertainty and confusion are resources, not things that stand in our way? What if obstacles, what if the obstacle is path of the way, is path of the way? And so uh, this, this is, uh, this is, Again, in a nutshell, uh, what we're doing with the Emergence Network, we're, we're creating perverse kind of alliances. We're diving into toxic activisms. We're using body politics. We're hogging people on the streets. We're, we're dancing into the queerness of the world. Um, and I'll end this by saying that, you know, uh, Stacey Alimo, she's a professor of English, I think. Um, she wrote a book recently, or two years ago, called Exposed. And she starts that book with a very striking sentence, that the Anthropocene is no time to get things straight. And I feel that we are we are opening ourselves up to the weirdness and the queerness of the world and taking note of its weirdness. Hmm. Beautiful. I am like hearing your words and feeling an expansiveness to this, leaning into the counterintuitive and dancing with what is really opens us to whole new possibility and and i, I love that <laughs> i love the idea of the queerness we're going to take a quick break here bio and um, when we return i really want to ask you some of those other questions and see what's emerging in this moment for us as, as guidance as we're moving forward you've been listening to the dr julie show all things connected we're here with bio okoma lafe and we'll have so much more when we return Radio, an entire radio station devoted to your personal development, expanding your conscious awareness, and empowering positive change. Meet our hosts and listen online at EmpowerRadio.com, on iHeartRadio, TuneIn, Stitcher Radio, or iTunes, or download the Empower Radio app for your smartphone or tablet. It's free in the App Store, and it lets you listen to our shows and podcasts on demand. Empowering people, empowering change. Empower Radio, online at EmpowerRadio.com. Yeah, you, it's me, your heart. Listen to me. We've got to talk. High blood pressure is serious, and yours? Whoa. What happened to us? We used to be so much more active. But lately, you've been ignoring me. I know you think I'm just going to keep ticking away forever, but you're wrong. You can do so much more to control your high blood pressure. Doing the minimum isn't doing enough. I'm under a lot of pressure and can quit whenever I want. Bet you didn't know that. 
But I like my job. Just treat me better. Check on me. Give me something green to nibble on every once in a while. And maybe we can do some exercise on occasion. Let's get to it. After all, we're in this together. Listen to your heart. Don't let it quit on you. High blood pressure can lead to a stroke, heart attack, or death. Get your blood pressure to a healthy range before it's too late. Find out how at heart.org slash blood pressure. Check change control. A message from the American Heart Association, the American Stroke Association, and the Ad Council. It takes 12 years to create a graduate. It takes about the same time to create a dropout. The difference between a child becoming one or the other could be you. Studies prove that reading to a child regularly dramatically improves reading skills. And kids who read well by third grade are four times as likely to graduate. So United Way is calling for one million volunteers over the next three years. We're asking you to step up, make a pledge, tutor a child who needs help, mentor a kid who needs someone on their side, volunteer to read to children, make a difference. Because when a child advances, we all advance. Entire communities improve. The path to success or failure starts long before graduation day, and the difference between a graduate and a dropout could be you. Be a reader, tutor or mentor, give, advocate, volunteer. Live United. Take the pledge. Go to liveunited.org now. Brought to you by United Way and the Ad Council. Come on, smile. Oh, honey, he's still not smiling. Maybe he's not a smiler. Yeah, maybe he's just not a happy baby. Maybe he's just being a boy. Or maybe he's teething. Maybe it's just a phase. Maybe he has autism, and we can definitely do something to help. Maybe is all you need to find out more about autism. No big, joyful smiles by six months is one early sign. Learn the others at AutismSpeaks.org slash signs. Brought to you by Autism Speaks and the Ad Council. Positive Radio for a better life. Thank you for listening to Empower Radio. Now, back to the Dr. Julie Show. All things connected on Empower Radio. Welcome back. Hey, if you're inspired by our conversation today, I invite you to share it with others and maybe even listen to it again. You can do that by visiting my website at thedrjulieshow.com where you'll find all the archive links as well as a listing of upcoming guests. Also, stay connected all week on our Facebook page, All Things Connected with Dr. Julie, where we continue the conversation. I am here with Bio Akomalafe. And Bio, what is the best website they can turn to? I think you have two that that our listeners might be interested in. Do you want to share that with us? Yeah, of course. Um, so the first that uh, I would I would direct the people listening to the Emergence Network. So it's www.emergencenetwork.org. And um, you can visit my website, which also is linked to the Emergence Network's website at um, www.bioacomalafe.net, N-E-T. So those two websites. Great. Thank you so much. Thank you. Right before the break file, we were talking about really how you pulled this emergence network together and the exploration. And I work with so many visionary leaders and change makers around the world. And I'm noticing a couple different worldviews and you're bringing in this, this, I'm weaving in some threads of yours into um, my awareness here, which are so refreshing and beautiful. I'll tell you, we have 
two worldviews that, that coexist at the same time in many of these meetings and gatherings. And, you know, one is trusting the impulse of creation, trusting the impulse of evolution as it's moving, tuning into that creative source and moving forward with that. And then there are those who are like a worldview of of fear of, hey, we've really messed this up. We're going down the wrong road. We've got to stop now or turn around or, and a lot of fear and startle and, and what have you. And like, we're all kind of holding both of these worldviews. And I don't know that we're dancing very well. And when I listen to you, I want to let go of so much that I've already been carrying forward. And like you, just be in the queerness, be in the obstacles, follow, follow the wisdom of, of what comes through with nature and what have you. So help our listeners. Many of our listeners are doing the same work that activism on the planet. And I, I love that you ask, say, maybe we don't even know what questions are the right questions to ask yet. What are those questions and how do we transition into that dance and into the the obstacles and the queerness and, and be with you in this? Right. Thank you for that beautiful question, Julie. Um, I think I think most of us know the impulse to be good, right? The um, yes. The the <laughs> the, it, well, I one of some one some of my friends call me a choir boy um, mm. because when we when we speak together and or go out to a bar, they would ask for a drink and I would ask for. A drink I mean something alcoholic and I would ask for um, juice apple juice ginger ale or something um, and they would you know mock me and say I'm a choir boy and you're not that's not you know calling me a choir boy is not exactly far from the truth I, I I grew up as I must have described succinctly um, previously that I was infatuated with this idea of truth of absolute truth and correlated with absolute truth is the idea of absolute goodness um, that if I'm good then the world will be good you know if 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 it's Calvinistic you know if if everything is okay on the inside if myself is whole and healthy and nice and rosy and all of that then the world will simply reflect what's on the inside the outside reflects the inside but that's a that's an 18th century eurocentric doctrine that no longer applies in our emerging material visions of the planet and of the world and of the universe. Um, the idea that um, if we're good enough, then the world will be just as good is, you know, positivist um, science all over again. The world is not representational. It doesn't mirror our inner attributes. Moreover, there are no, there is no such thing as an inner um, attribute that is not already entangled with the outer. Um, I forget the phenomenon where the inner just kind of melts into the outer. And that's a very good figure of how the world works. There there is no no, um, representational divide between humans and the world that they inhabit. And, And that's really the power of 
these um, of the feminist new materialist ideas that is now populating um, new activist spaces around the world. Um, it, it, it's the idea that we are all porous, we all melt through and and the, the notion that we are complete or that we can act from some motivation that is pure and is, you know, we, that there is even such a thing as good intentions that is not already complicit, entangled with what we might readily call bad intentions. It, it, you know, all of that is being composted at this point in time. And we're, you know, there's, there's, there's the stunning notion of intersectionality plays up here beautifully. Um, in, in Yoruba myth and mythology, there is something called the crossroads. Um, and at the crossroads is the trickster figure issue, which when um, Christian um, colonists, uh, colonialists came to West Africa and to Nigeria, they nicknamed or they renamed, rechristened issue as the devil, Satan, if you will. Um, but issue is not Satan, issue is a trickster figure. Um, but what I want to say here is that the crossroads in the Yoruba mythology is a beautiful way of seeing the world, a world that is diffractive, a world that is messy, a world that is that cuts through itself in various ways, a world that chastises our claims to independence and wholeness, um, a world that invites us to notice that we are like dust and, and we fade through things, and a world that invites us to trust in our fading. We might fear it, we might rail against it, but to notice that we are always fading, that death and life are not opposites on either side of the coin, but they actually are entangled partners. Life is death made keener, and death is life made keener, and they cannot do without each other. Um, just like light cannot do without darkness and vice versa. So um, um, it, maybe the invitation here for, for those listening is um, we are leaving our altars behind. Um, we are coming down to earth and we will not arrive in any neat fashion, in any neat way. How we respond to climate change or any of those things that bother us, white supremacy, um, ecocide, or the loss of biodiversity, or patriarchy, or hyperconsumerism, how we respond to all of these things is not an aspect of purity. The world does not deal with abstractions, it deals with specificities. Not that abstractions don't matter, but that we are always embodied. And we have, the, I think the last frontier is not outer space. It's not even inner space. It's the middle, it's a space between where we have real bodies, real embodied figures, embodiments that are still emerging. And so it's how to live in the middle, how to dwell in the dissolve. That's the real challenge of our times. That's the invitation to notice that even those people that we might say are bad people, uh, those people that are on the other side of the equation are just as grounded and embodied as we are. And this is where compassion begins, to notice that we are them under different circumstances. Um, that that we're, we're entangled with those who are strangers to us. So all of this is 
collectively a constellation of ideas and notions and that form an ethos, a new narrative that invites us to let go of our goodness. And I don't mean that in the cavalier sense of not being good or not crossing our older ones down uh, across the street, helping them cross the street rather. Um, but, 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 but that even that is political. Even love is political. Even seen is political. And we have to make do with living in the middle. Maybe that's how I put that. Mm. How how would you put in really simple terms what it means to live in the middle? Because I think this is an important concept and it is an ethos. So if if people haven't heard this yet, it's brand new. It's it's gotta sink in, it's gotta absorb. How would you make that really simple for us? Um, I can't. <laughs> I can't. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. I can't make it simple. Um, you, you know, the, the, the illusion of um, stuff like the conversations like this is that the person is an expert. Oh, I'm so not an expert. There's so many things I don't know. And I'm just coming to know that I don't know them after all. But, I, but let me say this. Let me say this. That the, 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 the times we're living in are... Uh, as I've described it variously, um, are times when we're coming down to earth. We're, we're regaining a sense of our embodiment. Um, during a lecture at, I think it was Schumacher College in the UK, um, my wife and I were teaching about health. And I think I asked a question to one of the participants um, or just to the class body. I asked, uh, what does it look like to have a clean bill of health? And someone got up and described, you know, being free of toxins in the body. Um, your heart is good. Your, your blood is clean. And all of that, just going through the motions of what we would define as clean, uh, as having 100% health, 2020 vision, and all of that. Um, but what that person left out is that we can no longer uh, parse the body away from the environment because the body is in a dynamic, active transference with the environment. So that where the body stops and the environment and the environment begins is no longer clear. It's no longer clear to biologists, to psychologists, to archaeologists, to ecologists. It's no longer clear to anyone. We agentially create lines of delineation um, between these two phenomena. But that doesn't mean they're separate, as you well know, Julie. Um, so um, living in the middle is coming to terms with that. I think Donna Haraway would say it's stained with the trouble. It's stained with the trouble that of our embodiment. It's stained with the trouble of the fact that we are not holy. We are not um, sacred in the sense of being apart. We're sacred only in the sense as of being entangled with. We are not independent. Um, uh, our, you know, our minds are not um, ensconced in our brains somewhere. Um, we are part and parcel of what the world is doing. And this is really troubling. It can be politically stultifying to say that we're entangled, and yet it can be really liberating 
to know that our old commitments, our previous commitments, our cherished commitments to better ourselves so that we can win brownie points in heaven. We, we no longer need to do that anymore. So in, in, near simple, in a near simple sense, living in the middle is about noticing things anew. It's about noticing the world around us and the claims that the world makes on our natures. It's about noticing that we are not at all um, separate from the environment, that the world has deep implications on how we live our lives. As a nerd, as a proud nerd of the now defunct nerd society, um, mm -hmm. I, I used to make plans of how I'll live my life. That's before I met my wife. I I drew up a blueprint. I knew exactly where I'll be in five years, in 10 years, in 15 years. I had it all planned out because I had no friends. I had only my books in the library. But uh, that was then I put away childish things, as they would say. And I know now that um, um, that's impossible that the world is planning along with us. We cannot save the world. You know, the old speech patterns of saving the world, coming out on tops, creating a world that is beautiful for us, now needs to be composted. So living in the middle is making do with the fact that we are always part of something else. And that we will not, we will maybe not have our way at the end of the day, but that's okay as well. Beautiful. You know, you, you mentioned, I want to ask you about compost in a minute, but you mentioned love a minute ago, and I would love for you to speak more on love. What is love? <laughs> I wish you could tell me. <laughs> <laughs> love. Uh, um, I, could, I could speak at length, and I, I also have moments of silence. I'm, I'm not exactly sure what it is, and I don't think identifying it like putting my finger on it is helpful. I would just say love is the uh, love is the invitation to not define our places in the world, <laughs> mm -hmm. to not to not pin ourselves to the ground. Um, I, I I like to say that um, as a young teenage Christian, we were taught to ask the question, "What would Jesus do?" You know, and we were which is part of popular culture right now. Um, and, and we were told to build bridges between us and the other, the always estranged other that is outside of our minds, you know, locked up in some other private ontological um, section of our universe, you know, a gulf away from our own privacies as well. Um, we're told to build bridges, to try to feel how the other feels, and that that exercise is love materialized. Um, without dismissing that totally, because we live in a world that is emergent, even in its understanding of itself, um, I would say that love is not so much a bridge as it is a hyphen. Um, it, it's, a, it's a hyphen because we're not independent. And even when we don't feel love, love is already the active agency that connects plant to rock and rock to climate and climate to wolf and wolf to ExxonMobil and ExxonMobil to Trump and Trump to Gandhi and Gandhi to Julie Crow. 
it's all connected. And this emerging pattern, this emerging constellation of nodes, of stars, of you know, creation slash destruction is, I feel, the story of love. Love is me dissipating and disappearing into the ether. And love is me congealing from the ether to become something else, something that I cannot imagine, probably. Um, love is uh, the butterfly becoming a caterpillar. And love is the caterpillar becoming a butterfly. And love is both becoming dust and fading away forever. And love is forever becoming temporal once again. So it's difficult to describe, right? <laughs> oh, but Bio, I have to tell you, you are the embodiment of love's voice. And it, <laughs> it, it might be difficult to describe, but you open your mouth and we have a living, breathing example of it. It is so beautiful. So thank you. That That's worthy of even transcribing and putting into written form. It was so incredible. So I want to... I want to ask you more about compost too, because you've spoken about it a couple of times. I teach, I teach compost and I'm just starting another program coming up this month um, that we call beautiful compost because it's taking these same concepts of, of our life, our life experiences, and then making beauty from that, making that love and that life come from sometimes some of the most ugly or, or what, um, undesirable some describe undesirable experiences but i found you through i'm going to say the name of your blog now you wrote this blog the surprising nobility of shit a a serious response to president donald trump's shithole remarks about african immigrants and you talked about compost in there too and it was it was spot on your voice was clear as the embodiment of love and yet fierce and and cut right through to to important pieces of of response that that were brilliant by the way so we have about 10 minutes in the show about nine minutes in the show i would love for you to speak about compost you have a beautiful chapter about it in your book and what you mean when you speak of compost um, I'm seriously <laughs> indebted to, again, Donna Haraway's figure um, or metaphor. She prefers figure, and I also prefer figure to metaphor. Um, the figure of the compost heap. And um, she, she speaks about the humanities or the anthropocentric figure the anthropos, the figure of man, the lofty male figure, um, being composted, being or, or rejoining the earth in its sway and its swirl and its in its waltz with itself, um, it, and she uses the compost heap, you know, the the messiness of it, the the dying that is implied to describe this process, this this noticing of ourselves again or anew. Um, I, I think I use it in the same way. I have to confess that I haven't had much experience with compost itself. Um, coming from and living most of my life in the city of Lagos, 
Um, we learned that food comes from shopping malls or from the market. Um, the idea of growing up or, or growing your own food or treating your waste in particular ways is rather new to us. Um, uh, new in the sense that it's it's new in our present stage. Uh, in, I'm sure in pre-colonial times there were no shopping malls. People grew their own food. Um, but I'm, I'm, I'm only learning the deep implications of this figure, um, the figure of compost. And it, it, perhaps one of the most, one of the most princely ideas that emerges from the compost heap is that death is generative. Um, that, you know, death is not a full stop in things. It is, it is generative. It is productive. Um, things don't die and then cease to exist. I don't mean they continue in some kind of ghastly, ghostly figure, um, as in ghost dad. <laughs> I mean that, um, that we have to revisit the idea that death is the end of things, whereas it's the world is teaching us that it's uh, it's a continuation of things. It's how things regain shape or shape shift into something else. And I think that's the powerful one of the powerful lessons learned from the compost heap. Another one is 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 the invitation. It's not so much a lesson as it is an invitation, um, as I've spoken of earlier. Um, to find new ways of analyzing where we are or who we are in the world. Um, I, I used to tell the story of a wave struggling to become the ocean and telling itself, promising itself that one day I will become as large as the ocean. Um, it, it feels that's where we are right now in our modern quest for flight, for escape, for transcendence. We hope that we will not only conquer and vanquish and control nature, that we, but we will one day not require nature at all. And so we will reach some kind of technological singularity and we will be above all of it. But that's as, as nonsensical as a wave telling itself that it will be one day you know, just as big as the ocean. We are being invited to notice that we are not part of uh, the ocean, we are the ocean in its ongoing complexity. Human beings are not part of the world as if we're contained within the world and as if the world is a vacuum. We are part of the world only as in a sense of being a materialization of the world in its ongoing becomingness <laughs> or complexity. And that's the compost heap right there. So I may not be able to speak about the compost itself. Uh, my, my partner, my wife is teaching me how to dig my hands in dirt. My daughter mm -hmm. is teaching me how to stay with soil, how to stay with shit. And, and, and this is where the, uh, um, and, and I'm not going to apologize for saying shit. It's, it's a natural part of life. Um, <laughs> so everyone who's listening, um, it's shit, right? So um, this is where the, the article on shit came from. It's a decolonization article. It's an invitation not to bemoan the fact that we've been rubbished by the president of the United States, but to notice that where we've been tossed aside, you know, as the rubbish heap 
of a developing world where the global south has been thrown has a lot of treasure. But because we're not open to other places of power, we're so committed to this modern framework, this neoliberal capitalist framework of power, that we feel that we've been given the short end of the stick because President Trump called us shitholes or shithouses or whatever he called us. But that's, but, but, but that's the colonial framework all over again. We're, I think we're being invited to notice that even in shit, even in death, even in the compost heap, even in the dark places, there is life, there is power, there are other places of being alive, there are other ways of being alive, there is an abundance that money cannot gainsay or circumvent. There are other ways of being in the world that shithole addresses that um, maybe we can turn our attention to. And that was the impulse that I wanted to respond to uh, in inviting President Donald Trump to consider his remarks about us. So yes, that's what I'll say, except you want me to say something else. <laughs> no, that's beautiful. I, um, I just wanna add to that as I'm listening to your voice that when a compost pile when we throw our scraps in the backyard and just leave them on the pile, it takes a really long time to break down right. and the compost gets stinky and smelly and yucky. But if right. we stir it, if we stir it every day, the aerobic bacteria can come in and break everything down so much faster. It gets hot. It's really, really hot. It heats up, but it breaks down faster. And I, I feel like you are on the planet stirring the compost pile like you were here bio with a brilliant voice reminding us and stirring that pile so it's going to get hot but it's going to break down into that new life so much quicker so what a what a beautiful story bio we have just a couple minutes here is there anything that you didn't have an opportunity to share with our listeners in one minute or less that um, you really wish you could say today i would say this that um, I'll repeat, the, I forget the person who said it, it was in a book I read some time ago, but it's this, that there's the movement that becomes the I precedes the I that makes movement. I'll say it again, um, there is movement that precedes the I that makes movement. Um, or let me put it this way. No, let me let me rephrase that. It's it's that there is a movement that makes the eye that moves uh, before the eye that moves makes movement, and it's all a way to say that there is no there is no independent eye between. So when you say that I I stir the heap, I I just want to say, and not in a way of being humble. I don't know that I'm humble, but but in a way of acknowledging and accounting for the other agencies in this room right now um, that are making me stand here to sit here with you. I just wanna acknowledge them and invite everyone listening to also acknowledge the world around them. And it is this, that, that we are part of the whole. We are part of the whole, or we are part of the never whole, the never not broken. We are part of the world that is still finding out itself in its teenage angst. And, and there will be no end of this. It's open-ended. So let's buckle up and get ourselves ready for the ride. There is no savior. 
There is no one that is going to come and save the day, but we are the ones we've been waiting for. And by we, I mean a thick we, the we mm. that includes trees and and clouds and rocks and things that we've previously that we've previously dismissed. And I think I'll end with that. Beautiful. Thank you, Bio. Thank you so much for joining Thank me you, today, having this conversation. I look forward to following your work so much more in the future. Thank, Thank you, you so much, Julie, for inviting me here. Oh, Great. you bet. And listeners, we've been you've been listening to the Dr. Julie Show, All Things Connected. Thank you so much for tuning in with us today. And remember, together we are creating connections for the good of the whole. Until next time, I'm sending you a world of love. Bye for now.